All right. Welcome, everyone, to a new episode of the Roscoe's Wetsuit Podcast. I have a very special guest today on the show. We have Mike Rosenfeld. Uh, Mike is a coach. He is a peak performance coach, a breathwork therapist, and founder of True Performance. He works with high-performance athletes, artists, and corporations, providing them with effective tools and strategies essential to achieve success. His unique and practical five-step play big, never settle program helps people create extraordinary results in all areas of life. Uh, Mike is a sought after speaker. He has the privilege of sharing his method and message uh, nationwide and abroad to individuals. Um, he has been a guest on the Oprah Winfrey radio show where he was interviewed by Maya Angelou and has appeared on Lifetime Network's The Balance Act. In 2011, he was honored by Miami's Sustainatopia as a revolutionary change maker, an award given to young social entrepreneurs working to create a positive impact locally and globally. Uh, in addition to all of this, I could keep going, but uh, Mike is a flow code coach, um, something that we'll talk uh, about you know, on the show today. So Mike, really happy to have you on, man. It's a pleasure to be on your show. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So, you know, I want to start off just by, you know, tell me what originally kind of piqued your interest in this whole kind of peak performance world, you know, if you will. What, what sort of got you interested in being a coach? Yeah. So throughout my life, I always questioned what my life was about. Um, I got into a lot of trouble as a kid. Um, I was put into programs for juvenile offenders. And at a very early age, I had some traumatic experiences happen where I began to look at myself a little bit different because I was the only one that made it through out of my friends. Some died. Um, so I kept asking, why me? Why me? Why me? And that question really just opened me up to the possibility that my life has meaning and purpose. So I kind of, I was lucky to work or to meet this gentleman. Um, his name is Steve Herberts. He's one of my mentors. It basically says that everything in your life is teaching you for something and preparing you for something big. So when you look at the things that you're passionate about and you look at the things that you've been through that were traumatic and you take the two and you put them together, how can you look at the traumas of your life and find a way that you enjoy giving back in those areas, right? So how do you make passion out of a trauma? So in doing so, um, I went to, first I went to work for Seagram's, which was the parent company to Universal. My mentor was the vice president of the entire company. While working there, um, I was marketing music. I was on the marketing side. I was marketing music that had a negative message and we were directing it at kids. And I'm like, there's no way that I was kept alive so I can poison the minds of kids. So I left doing that and I founded my own charity in 1999. They used hip hop, which I listened to, and different expressive arts as a tool for therapy for gang members. I was a gang member. So what I did was I found something that was a trauma in my life, an experience that I went through. I found something that I was passionate about, music, and I found a way to integrate it in a way of helping people. While doing that, um, I did that for 12 years. After 12 years, I was burnt out. A lot of death, a lot of disease, um, and I just knew there was more. So I wanted to discover what that next step of life was going to look like. And when I did my soul searching, when I went inside and got clear of who I am, I realized that the work that I do 
not only prepares people to become their very best, but it gives them a sense of purpose. So working with celebrities, working with professional athletes, working with CEOs of large companies, these are people who have great influence. So yes, helping them with their game or advancing their company is something that I love, but the part of it that really gets me the most is when they go through this process, their impact on the world is much greater. So that's really what got me into this. A, making a difference in people's lives, but also so that they can make a difference in the world. Right, right. No, that's incredible. I mean, taking your own kind of hardships and, and flipping that into you know something that is super powerful and empowering others. I'm also a huge fan of uh, uh, hip hop music. So that's, that's super right. cool to hear what, you're, what you did with that, with that charity. Favorite MC of all time? Oh man. Come on. Eminem. Eminem. I'm going to give it to Eminem. I mean, I, that's what, that's who I grew up listening to. So yeah, I'm going to have to. It's a great choice. I mean, if, if you take anyone who's like a hip hop enthusiast, top 10 of all time, he's got to be in everyone's top 10. No, gotta be, gotta be. be. Yeah. How about, how about for you? Um, I look at it. (sighs) My favorite is DMX. Okay. And the reason he's my favorite is because he saved my life. His music saved my life. Like legit saved my life. So I give him that. And the reason it saved my life was because there was a song when I was going through a very difficult time. Um, I was strung out on drugs for four days. I had just, I had just put a gun to my head and I'm driving home and I'm listening to this song where he's talking to God in the song and he's saying, God, I don't get it. Like I believed in you. Why are you allowing me to go through all of this? And in a different voice, God speaks back to him. He goes, my child, I watched you grow up and I've been there. And even at the time you least expected it, I was there. And basically DMX begins to make sense of it. He was like, oh, I get it. Nothing is like the famous saying, nothing happens to you. Everything happens for you. He says to God, I get it. There's something that you wanted me to see in order to become who you want me to be. Well, I was going through a time period where I created this belief system about me and I couldn't see beyond that belief system. Like that's the neuroscience. Like we see what we believe, right? Mm-hmm. And I just couldn't be open to anything other than I'm a junkie, I'm a counterfeit, I'm full of it, right? But when I heard that, it shifted my perspective. And so like when people ask me who my favorite MC is, it's gotta be him. Now, for looking at hip hop in general, I also love Outkast because I think they revolutionized hip hop in a lot of ways. Sure. So I'll take the two of them. Absolutely. I'm sure we could make this a whole uh, a whole hip hop uh, podcast, but next you know, <laughs> yeah, next time, absolutely. Um, so you know, getting back to you know with with you know your work, I'm curious how how the kind of the mindfulness, the breath work, yoga, you know, all things that you mentioned on your bio. How did you sort of uh, integrate that all, you know, into your coaching practice? I, I learned that when I speak to certain people, they hear certain things a certain way, right? So if, so if I'm speaking to an owner of a large company, like he doesn't want to hear anything esoteric. He wants to hear linear science, evidence-based information. So I needed to learn that, right? I wanted to be able to know that and own that and be able to speak intelligently about it and not just theoretically know it, have tools that speak to that. Same thing with like the yoga and the meditation. Like a lot of people that I speak to are like really spiritual. So I needed to learn that as well. But I went that direction prior to going to the science direction because when I was coming out of my addiction, it was yoga and meditation that really helped me come center, clear my mind, get to know who I was beyond who I thought I was. Um, 
so that's that's my connection to that. sure and it, so it sounds like from what you're saying you really kind of cater your your coaching practice kind of based on you know the type of uh client that you're working with yeah i think or that, just um, seeing what can appeal to them for sure i think that if you look at the Dao de jing if you look at um, neuroscience, if you look at Kabbalah, if you look at like both science and spirituality, they're essentially saying the same thing, but they package it differently, right? So I remember um, at one point I started studying the Tao Te Ching and it was just like so theoretical and I just, it was like, ah, oh, I couldn't connect with it. But then I started reading Bruce Lee's book and I was like, whoa, this stuff is like next level about high performance, about mindset. And in the book, he's quoting the Tao Te Ching. <laughs> so like he got all of his stuff from the thing that I couldn't stand. So it wasn't like what I was reading, it was who was delivering it. And the same thing here, it's like uh, the universal truths are the universal truths. Science talks about them, religion talks about them, spirituality talks about them. I just want to be able to have a conversation with whomever I'm speaking to and speak the language that impacts them so that I can be most effective. Love it, love it. I'm curious, you know, so uh, you know, other sort of lessons or, or, you know, things that you've learned. How long have you been doing the, the coaching for total? It depends on what we mean. Officially and getting paid for it since 1999. Okay. But when I was 14 and I was incarcerated, um, when I thought my life was going to come to an end, I gave up a lot of habits and I began to learn how to be present with people, to listen, to ask huh. questions and to help. So officially 20 years, but pretty much my entire life. Amazing. So, you know, when you, when you kind of look back, you know, you know, kind of when you were first kind of getting started, you know, up until this point, what are sort of the biggest things that you feel like have gotten you to where you are today that have, you know, enabled you to become a really successful, amazing coach? I mean, that's an easy answer for me. I'm open to the possibility. As soon as I became open to possibility, I stopped blocking myself with the beliefs that I had, right? So I believed I was only this, and as this, I'm capable of that, right? But when I'm open that I can be so much more than this, and I'm capable than so much more than that, what happens is like things begin to line up. And the way the brain works, the way the mind works, whatever you believe is what you see, right? So out of the billion bits of information that are surrounding us at any given moment, we're only able to take in a very small percentage of that. And out of that small percentage, what we're taking in is always going to be consistent with what we believe. So I think we have like 77,000 thoughts a day. Mm -hmm. And out of those 77,000 thoughts a day, like 90 something percent of them are just pretty much reoccurring thoughts from the previous day. So we stay, st we stay stuck in a cycle of thinking. And the reason we stay stuck in the cycle of thinking is because we have certain beliefs and our beliefs are reinforcing our thoughts, which are reinforcing our beliefs. But as soon as you become open to possibility, you begin to shift your thought patterns. And in doing so, you begin to have more creativity. You begin to have more focus. You begin to just have more certainty that where you are is not who you are, but where you are is a lesson to get you to where you want to go next. And if you see it that way, you're never like suffocated by the lesson. You're always empowered by it. Well said. I love it. Yeah. Thanks. So 
I assume then that's also probably a big part of, of the, the clients that you work with, helping them see their limiting beliefs and see how they're kind of telling themselves a certain story, you know, that's maybe limiting them, you know, where they can go. Is that, yeah. is that fair to say? Um, I have different types of clients, right? So some of my clients, well, I have several clients that come for me for certain topics. Some people come because they're looking for that next level. And in order to help them get to that next level, of course, we look at their belief systems. We have some people who are looking to just be able to access flow state on the dime, right? So I work with several championship fighters, for example. Like they're not coming to me to face their belief systems. They're coming to me to know how to shut their mind off so they can like open up to that creativity and access the zone. Right, right, right. Absolutely. So you know, kind of talking about, you know, let, let's kind of go into to flow states and sort of, if you could just, you know, briefly kind of give an introduction um, to the listeners, because I actually don't know if I've uh, brought that up in a previous podcast. So kind of explain to us, you know, what flow states are and, you know, why people should care about them. Can you imagine 40 years ago, you look at a telephone, right? And it like was connected to this wire and you couldn't leave like the proximity of where you were and you were limited to that. But at that time it was amazing because you can speak to people from like down the street or even in a different city. You had to pay a little bit of extra money if you wanted to call out of the United States perhaps, but you could if you wanted to, right? And now 30 years later, we have these smartphones and you're able to do absolutely, you can run your business off. You can create videos. Like there's, it's endless of what we can do, right? The brain is similar. We have thought for so long we knew what our brain was capable of. But through flow state, you can really begin to like go from having a 1980 phone to having a 2020 phone. You can go from having a 1980 mindset where we think that this is the way it is and we're doing everything to push, push, push. Or we can begin to learn how we can maximize our brain potential that's the gift of flow the gift of flow is like how do you really optimize this system that we have up here this system that we have here and our ability to create in the most powerful way so what is flow flow is um, that razor sharp focus right where your confidence is just like booming with certainty and your body and your mind is able to adapt to any situation almost effortlessly. That's the experience of flow. The logical mind can't explain how it happens. Like, so when you're in flow, for example, you're able, like, let's say you're playing basketball, you're able to do things and achieve things and have an experience that if you said, do you think this is possible ahead of time? You probably wouldn't if you were using logic because logic would have told you that you've never done it before, so how can it happen now? Because you're not open to the possibility. Flow is like really accessing our full creative potential. Right, and and one of the things that just came to mind and, and what really uh, you know perked my ears up when I heard you talk about it on the webinar, um, you know, because the, the, I'm a neuroscience geek, you know, you talk about the, the transient hypofrontality, right? Yeah. Where it's basically, kind of the the conscious you know the way i think of it kind of the conscious you know prefrontal cortex thinking about everything uh you know think about what we're going to eat for lunch what we got to do what kind of emails we got to send out later in the day 
all that stuff just gets shut off. There's this clarity, right? Yes. Yeah, uh, Stephen Cutler, um, he actually talks about this a lot. There is a, the 10% myth, I think is what he calls it. But you, you've heard people say that we only use like 10% of our brain power um, or less, I think I've heard. Well, essentially, it's actually a little bit backwards. Our mind is so congested with thoughts that we're not able to tap into that next level. Frontal um, transient hyperfrontality is essentially the gradual slowing down of the front cerebral cortex. So the front cerebral cortex is the part of the brain that analyzes, that judges, that names, that it's it's often the inner critic, the voice of the inner critic, right? So imagine you're on the dance floor and like you're really like feeling it. You're like one with the music, you're one with the environment, like everything is just like flowing. But then as soon as that thing shuts on, it like turns on, it's like, oh my God, how do I look? What are they thinking? Am I on beat? And before you know it, like you're, and you're not even able to dance because like you're so in your head. Same thing with sports, same thing with business, same thing with life. We're having 77,000 thoughts a day and we're not even able to live because we're so in our head. So transient hyperfrontality is this gradual process of slowing that part of the brain down so that we can go beyond what we think and into the realm of possibility. Right, right. You know, it, it's so interesting, you know, when they when they do these movies, you know, like Limitless or Lucy, you know, right, where it's like, yeah. you know, people like gaining access to like all these parts of their brain. But it's like exactly what you're saying. I mean, from my understanding of neuroscience, you know, it's it's along you know along the the same lines, you know, where it's like actually how we are able to make the the greatest use of our you know brain is basically tapping into certain states, you know, and and those states involve you know basically the the elimination of all of this other stuff, you know, for example, like paying attention, right? You know, if if you were aware of all of the things in your room, all of the little sounds that you hear, right? There, there'd be no way that you could have this conversation with me. Attention is like literally where you're, you're blocking everything else out besides what you're, you're focusing on. Or channeling everything in. What I mean by that is there are three, I like to say that there are three types of focus. The first type of focus, and this is just mindset, okay? Um, this is, it's like a theory that I use. The first type of focus is when I look around, I realize that when I look around, I might say that that picture is beautiful, but you might say it's ugly. Who's right? So instead of giving it a title of good, bad, or ugly, I just simply see it as energy, right? So the first type of focus is where you're not assigning meaning to anything. It's just energy. The second type of focus is laser focus. And that's where I'm putting all of my attention into something, right? So imagine I'm putting all of my attention into this conversation. And now I have someone over here going like this to me or calling my name, right? Most people would consider that a distraction. But as soon as I give it that title, I just gave it that power. Mm. So instead of seeing it as a distraction, I see it as energy. So instead of trying to force it out, resisting it, 
I embrace it and I channel it in, right? Because think of it this way, if I'm trying to focus, if I'm focusing on you and someone's over there and I'm just sitting there, don't listen, don't listen, don't listen, I'm so preoccupied with the don't listen that it's getting to me. But if I can embrace it and actually use it, then I can master everything and everything helps towards my focus. So I'm channeling that energy towards my focus. Absolutely. I love it. Yeah. I mean, it seems like something with, you know, kind of this, you know, we talk about information overload, you know, in our society, you know, just constantly, you know, plentiful distractions of, you know, our phones and, and everything going on, where I think a lot of people sort of like feel like helpless as, you know, in the sense of like, all of these other things are like, forced upon me, whereas like, the way I view it, maybe maybe you're viewing it along the same lines where it's like, really, you know, you're the one who's who's sort of allowing it that power. You're good, yes. Absolutely. And no, with that said, like if we're talking about, it's interesting because you could learn to master everything. I believe that, right? I believe that you can use everything towards a focus. For example, the same mentor of mine um, was meeting, and his name just slipped, but one of the world leading authorities on um, ADD and ADHD. And my mentor is extremely esteemed. He was VP of a billion dollar company. He was a top consultant to different presidents. Very smart guy. And he meets with this psychologist and the guy looks at him and he goes, you know, you have ADD. And my mentor is like, always in awe, and by the way, being in awe is like how you access flow. It's that curiosity. So he's not gonna argue with him, he's curious, what makes you think that way? So the doctor just gave him a couple of things that he noticed, and my mentor became even a little bit more curious. So they went through a process, and my mentor remembers now being in school when he was, I think it was middle school, he said, and he would sit in class, and because he had a tough time focusing, what he would do was he would write one through 60 on the left side of his paper. And as he was listening to the teacher, every minute he would look up at the clock, cross off a number. So he would train himself every minute to, to focus and every minute look up and do this. And this was his self-coping mechanism so that he can enhance his own focus, right? So I, I, that's next level stuff. Like that's by far next level coping mechanism that he created for himself. Interesting. The reason I'm bringing it up, though, is if I have a fighter and he's got a major, like a major fight or any fight coming up, right? I don't want him on his phone. The reason I don't want him on the phone is because it is sensory overload. And sensory overload is important because what's happening is there's spikes in dopamine and there's spikes in norepinephrine and spikes in cortisol. And all of these are like really affecting his state and his ability to access this phone. I'm going to take him through a process to get him into that. Not that we can't do that and enter the process. But that's like next level stuff. And even the highest performers like don't want to have to go through that. But I do believe that our brain is so powerful that we can teach it how to be completely overwhelmed with information and then process it to the point where we can actually access, access the zone. Interesting. Right. Right. So I wanted to ask you, Mike, you know, as far as you've worked with a lot of peak performers, you know, it sounds like a variety of different, you know, fields, you know, whether that be athletics or business or, you know, anything else, what do you, what have you noticed? What either behaviors, mindsets, 
what have you noticed that separates these top people, these uber successful people from everyone else? What comes to mind? A thirst for what else is possible. It's kind of like the theme of what I'm saying. Um, they're not satisfied. They're curious and they're open. And that curiosity and that openness is what allows them to constantly keep growing. Um, and, and one of the things that I do with everyone I work with is I assess them ahead of time to test to the degree that I can their coachability. Um, because if they're not open, um, it's a waste of their money and, and my time. And so if someone has a curiosity and that openness and is willing to do the work and is diligent about it, um, they'll make their lives a lot easier, even though the work seems like it's harder. Um, but they'll make their lives a lot easier and they'll become a lot more successful at what they do. So I think that's one of the common themes. Um, yeah. Attitude, open-mindedness, and work ethic. Right. Right. Not necessarily skill, by the way. Or intelligence. Not at all, actually. Um, you see some of the most skilled athletes, like, really getting blown up in the ring or on the football field. They may be faster than everyone else. They might be able to run a route better, but they're dropping the ball when it's thrown to them. Or they're like freaking out on the field and like causing a penalty that affects the entire team. Or they're losing focus and like their quarterback gets sacked because of it. You know, um, it's more of the ability to focus, the ability to master their, manage their emotions and their curiosity to what else is possible. Right. And I would assume, you know, amongst the, the, you know, clients that you work with, obviously having that kind of openness to, to, you know, hear what you're saying and, and learn and, you know, go to, you know, get to higher levels seems to be really critical. You know, do you, is it tough? Do you, do you ever work with those, you know, people that you're talking about as far as like, you know, super talented, gifted, you know, athletes that just, but they, they have these like rigid mindsets. Do you ever, do you ever encounter that in your work? Yeah. I mean, I come across it all the time and I always ask them what else is possible. What else is possible? No, man, but Mike, man, come on. Like, so part of what I do is I educate everyone I work with about how the brain works. So as I'm coaching them, like they understand the perspective that I'm coming from. And when I challenge them, they at least know where I'm coming from. And I would say the overwhelming majority of the people I work with, and by the way, this also applies to like if I volunteer in prisons or like my charity, when people kind of begin to understand the way the mind works and me as whether I'm their coach or I'm their therapist or whatever role I'm playing in their world, um, if I explain it well and I'm able to understand their learning style and communicate in their language more often than not, it's not a wrestle at all. It's just like there was a door that came up and that's okay. We, I understand where that came from. They're beginning to understand through their own mindfulness practice where it's coming from and we're e easily able to open it and go through to the next room. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. And then, you know, switching gears a little bit, I wanted to ask you, you know, as far as, um, you know, one of the things that really stuck out to me on your bio, you know, the fact that you got interviewed by Maya Angelou um, on the, the Oprah Winfrey show. 
I mean, yeah. the, uh, my question to you is, you know, what, what sort of skills did you have to cultivate, you know, to become this kind of, you know, really good public speaker where you can deliver your message in this really powerful way that, that people pick up on? You know, it's interesting. Um, I never believed in myself. Never. I grew up believing I was stupid, literally. And I grew up believing that I was not significant, that I was not important. So I was running my charity and I was doing some work with some athletes and a woman found me who was searching around the country. She did a program. Her name is Daphne Michaels, Daphne Michelson. Um, and she did a program called 50 and 52. And essentially what it was, was she was finding a person from each state who is like impacting the world from where they are. And I got chosen from Florida. And because of that, Oprah found out about it and interviewed me. Maya and Angelo interviewed me. But during that time period, like I was so in my head and I literally thought, I still thought that I was dumb. I still thought that I wasn't important. And it's amazing. Like I talk about this a lot. Like whatever we believe is whatever we see, right? So like if I believe that I'm stupid and you're nodding your head at me, I'm seeing not someone who thinks I'm smart. I'm seeing someone who probably feels bad for me and can't wait to get me off the show, hmm. right? Because that's what my belief is. So like how many times do like people in our lives tell us how smart we are, how cool we are, how good we are, and we really don't believe it. We don't see it ourselves. So when Maya Angelou and Oprah Winfrey like selected me to be on their show, it was like this huge awakening. Like I was wrong about how I saw myself. I was really limiting myself. Um, and so that in and of itself allowed me to see beyond that. It was one of like the key experiences in my life that what else is possible, Mike? Like maybe I am more than I thought. And then in terms of like ability to speak, it's a really cool story. So my charity worked with gang members and kids who were incarcerated and we used hip hop as a tool for self-discovery and ultimately therapy. So the first phase was really helping them through their expression, tap into their core values. I'm not who I thought I am. What matters most to me? Who am I here? What is my vision of success? Like if I'm being the best of who I am here, what does that look like? And how do I build the mindset and strategy to get to that? But a fun part of the program is we did performances. So the kids got to perform on big stages, the Alicia Keys and the Source Awards and like some really cool things as well as smaller stages. But part of that was like taking these kids who really didn't have artistic training at all, but just had a desire to rap or sing or do spoken word and get them on stage. And we did this one performance. It was like one of their first performances and there was like 3000 people in the audience. And they worked so hard for this, man. Like they trained and they worked and like they did everything they can to deliver a great performance. They got booed off stage, literally. And we're back in the dressing room and one of the guys looks at me and he was like, Mike, what the hell, you know, what happened? And my response to him was, nice shirt. He's like, Mike, what happened? I'm like, nice shirt. He's like, what the heck, man? Why are you making fun of my shirt? I'm like, I'm not making fun of your shirt. I'm saying it's nice. He's like, no, you're not. You're making fun of it. You're saying it in a certain way that's making fun of it. And I said, I, okay, 
when you were on stage, what was your piece about? It was like, it was about my brother's death. I was like, how do you feel about your brother's death? He got emotional, like it kills him. It's like, it's painful, it's sorrowful. He said, when you're on stage, what were you thinking about? Be honest. It was like, I wanted them to like me. Hmm. I was like, do you understand what you were doing? You were not feeling what you were saying. You weren't connected to what you were saying, so they weren't connected to you. You were nice shirting them. If you don't feel you, they won't feel you. So like as a speaker and people who help people become world-class speakers, the first thing is like really get clear of who you are, right? Beyond who you think you are, get clear of what your message is and how does that message resonate with you? And instead of worrying about how it lands, which you can't control, even in football or basketball or boxing or a meeting, you can never control the outcome of anything. You can only control what you do in the process. And if you're doing the correct things in the process, you at least give yourself the best chance of getting that desired outcome. And in this process, you really want to be able to feel what it is that you're saying so that they can feel you. And that's the emotional content of it all, like injecting emotional content into everything we do, speaking, sports, everything. Right. You know, that that's so interesting, you know, what, what you were saying as far as, you know, people... Uh, it just got me thinking, you know, I had recently had a conversation with a friend, you know, sort of about the idea of, you know, what you're talking about, sort of, you know, these, these people trying to get, you know, other people to like them, right? You know, and sort of talking with this friend about, you know, it's sort of the same with, with sort of, uh, you know, just so, you know, social connections, you know, right? Where if you're trying to get other people to like you, what's ironic is that, that actually often repels people. And when you're just living, you know, the best life that you can live and living life on your own terms and not caring about what other people think of you, that seems to be the way to attract the best people. 100%. It's the law of polarity. It's, it's like, you gotta be willing to miss the shot in order to make the shot. Because if all you're focused on is making the shot, there's an underlining thought of, I hope I don't miss it. And that underlining thought of, I hope I don't miss it, is what causes you to tense up while making it. I want these people to like me, which means I don't want them to dislike me. That fear of being disliked or not approved is what's creating that tension, which makes it an awkward conversation, which causes mm -hmm. us to even have to overcompensate, which actually repels people. 100%. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. So I'm curious, Mike, you know, you mentioned, you know, our, uh, you know, our mutual friend, Nizar, you know, you and him are doing uh, what sounds to be like a, you guys are starting a really cool course. You yes. want to tell our listeners a little about that? Yeah, it's, it's called Be to Become. It's Be to Become. And the title, it's interesting. Well, I'll give you the framework for it. So a client of mine comes to me and he's like, I have an opportunity to partner with this other company but this partnership will produce hundreds of millions of dollars. Like it's a big deal, right? And he goes, the only thing that needs to happen is they need their board of directors or their board of trustees needs to meet with me, interview me. And if they approve of it, done deal. Cause everything else makes sense on paper. Right? So he looks at me, he goes, do you think I'll get it? And I said, no. And he was like, what? Is like, you're my coach, you're not supposed to say that. I said, I'm not your cheerleader, and there's no point of me giving you 
any, like I shouldn't, you shouldn't ask me a question unless you can expect the truth. Otherwise I'm just yes manning you and you get nowhere from that. I said, but it really doesn't matter what I think. Let me just ask you a couple questions and we'll see from these questions if you have that shot or not. And he's like, okay, ask away. I said, first and foremost, do you believe it's possible? He's like, yeah, good, awesome. Next question, you believe it's possible. Can you imagine it happening and eight months goes by and it's a massive success for you, for them, for everyone? He was like, yeah, I can totally see that. And I'm like, see, you don't need my opinion here, but let me ask you one more question. He was, what? I said, I want you to imagine those eight months does go, they go by, those eight months go by. Who are you at that point? Like, and he was like, what do you mean? I said, what's the difference between who you are then and who you are now? He was like, oh, I'm much more confident at that point. I'm like, you're more confident. Tell me why. He was like, well, I have, more, I have better routines. I have better processes. And he goes through like this entire list of things that he's doing to be more confident. And I said, that's what I suspected. He goes, what? I said, they don't want you. They want him. They want you, the guy eight months from today. They don't want you now. And he goes, what do I do? I said, well, you already are that guy. Start being him. How does he think? How does he breathe? Let's start programming your nervous system a certain way because that's all you're talking about. I'll show you how to do it. Just start being that now and that's how you become him. You don't become him by wanting to be him. You become him by behaving as him, right? He's like faking it to make it. I said, no, being it, being it. It's not faking it, it's being it, right? Embodying these things. So he ended up doing that and instantly was able to get him into that space and great story. Nazir and I are doing the same thing. We're teaching people how to create their highest level of success. Um, we're using neuroscience, we're using flow code, we're using different life coaching principles, meditation principles, um, positive psychology, all these different really cool things that help people step into their most powerful self and enjoy the process while they're doing it. Amazing. Yes. So, um, you know, Mike, I think, you know, we're coming up onto the end of the show. So, you know, it's been amazing getting to talk to you today where, you know, if people want to learn more about, you know, your work or, you know, this, this program that's going to take place, you know, where would you, where would you direct people to? So you can go to the easiest thing is everyone's on Instagram. Of course you can go to my website. I'll give you that information. My Instagram is Mike. M-I-K-E, middle initial J, so Mike, the letter J, Rosenfeld, R-O-S-E-N-F-E-L-D, Rosenfeld, R-O-S-E-N-F-E-L-D, um, or you can go to my website, coachmikerosenfeld.com, and if you go to either, there'll be information on the program that Nazir and I are doing. Also information about a program that uh, I'm doing specifically on overcoming anxiety. And uh, I'd love to hear people's response to this, this interview, this podcast. Anybody has any questions, they can go to either place, ask away, um, send me your email address or your number, and we'll get on a call and hopefully I can uh, help. Awesome. And if you guys enjoyed the show today, you know, go ahead and like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. We are Roscoe's Wetsuit. 
And you can also find the audio version of this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and iHeartRadio. So whichever way you want to check us out, just go do it. Mike, again, it was a pleasure getting to have you on the show today. I really appreciate your time. It's awesome being on the show. I have a quick question. Yes. Roscoe's wetsuit. Yes. How'd you come up with the name? What's that about? Yes. You know what? You're going to love this because it's, uh, it actually is inspired by a hip hop thing. What? So, okay. Yes. Okay. So do you know, um, you know the album Because the Internet, the Childish Gambino album? I do. I don't know it well. Okay. Okay. So that, that's one of my favorite albums of all time. There's a very controversial album, right? Because the internet, I, you might be thinking of the next one that was like the, that had the, this is America that, that yes. Okay, yeah, yeah, that yeah, was yeah. a, I think that was the next. Yeah. 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 Got it. Okay. Um, same guy. Yeah. Um, but with this album, I hear you. I hear you. Well, it's like, that's how I feel now. Cause like all the stuff I listen to still is like what, what I listened to back in like, like middle school and high school, like the newer, st like I'm starting to like, I'm, I'm 23, but it's like, I'm starting to feel kind of like, you know, older. Cause I'm like, I don't keep up with like the brand new, you know, it's like, Oh, is that it's hard to, because every other word is it's in the perk. Molly, Molly. <laughs> 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 like, okay. Right. Back then it was gin and juice and weed. Like, so go ahead. <laughs> but yeah, but um, so basically in this, uh, you know, there's a screenplay that went along with this album, and in the screenplay, there's this recurring. So so there's a character, the boy who's childish Gambino. You know, he basically comes across, uh, you know, these words Roscoe's wetsuit. You know, it's just po you know placed posted in different places. You know, he finds it graffitied, you know, in some alley or you know posted on some sign. And he's like, "What? What does this mean? What does this mean?" And it keeps coming up throughout the the whole screenplay. And then near the end, he finally sees like this kid at a restaurant, like he's like scribbling Roscoe's wetsuit on the napkin. He's like, "Oh my gosh! Like this guy must actually know what this means." Like I got, you know. So he goes over, like confronts the kid. It's like, "What does this mean?" The kid's like, I don't know. He gets like more and more and more agitated. Like, you know what this means. Like, tell me what the hell it means. The kid's like, I, the, the, the answer the kid gives is, I don't know. I just saw it online. So the title in a way means nothing in the sense that, right. you know, like, like with that, you know, it's like Roscoe's wetsuit, it's nothing. Um, yeah. But then it's also the way I, per, like the way I saw it was like, it's sort of a, sort of ironic thing where you know the roscoe's wetsuit that that sort of theme in the in the screenplay was like you know this sort of like the fakeness and and just like following the herd right of just like seeing whatever's posted online and just kind of following the crowd so it's like with this uh with this podcast my goal in starting out with it was to create this this actual like meaningful thing with real like raw discussions and, and hopefully, you know, actually creating value, you know, compared to kind of just that following the kind of herd mentality. So it's sort of ironic too the, the title. It's, it's awesome. And in that spirit, um, I do a lot of interviews, a lot of podcasts. This is a very, when I say easy one, I don't mean in the sense of simply easy. I mean, in the sense of kind of like flowing and, like it was cool. So you're doing great, man. I really enjoyed being Appreciate on the show. Absolutely. It was an honor getting to have you on the show again.
All right.